picture us at a business function and you see it's a room full of ideal future buyers or ideal future clients and how would you approach people in the room well you know you wouldn't just stand on a table and and, and toss out 50 business cards and hope people picked it up put it in their pocket and called you to do some work you would most likely go and introduce yourself ask them how they're doing and have a conversation you're listening to the client catching podcast the show that uncovers how high performing service-based business leaders are successfully navigating the ocean of complexity around growing their business now as anyone with the talent and guts to start a business knows it takes a lot more to grow one than just being great at what you do and you can't do it alone so this podcast will show you how other captains of their own ship just like you have found the right strategy to catch more clients simplified everything and transform their business so if you're ready to do the same, then jump aboard and join me, Adam King, host and the captain at Think Like a Fish, and let's go fishing. Hey, how you doing? Adam here, and I wanted to quickly let you know about a brand new 15-minute video training where I show you how to get 5, 10, 15, 25 or more predictable sales appointments every month in just 30 minutes a day. And how you can do all of that without cold calling, networking, relying on referrals or any of that kind of stuff. Now, I've added that to the podcast gift page, which you can find at thinklikeafish.co.uk slash podcast gift. That's thinklikeafish.co.uk slash podcast gift. And you'll also see all of the other resources and gifts that I've created on that page as well. So hope you go and check that out and, uh, and enjoy what you find. So until you do that, Let's get back to the show. Hello, welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Now, if you suffer from or you ever have suffered from that dreaded feast famine cycle in your business, then the chances are it's, it's because your marketing isn't being done consistently. Because without a systematic process powering your marketing, you end up skip, uh, skipping key activities when you're busy with clients and then rushing trying to fill the pipeline when you're not. And Although it doesn't sound as sexy as the latest shiny object marketing tactic or secret hack that's being pushed at the, uh, at the current time, a systematic process um, for your marketing that ensures all your key activities are done consistently, it's the closest thing there is out there to a secret hack. And it's the foundation to all sustainable business growth. Now, the good news is this doesn't have to be complicated. And it's exactly what my guest and I today are going to be talking about. Now, he's a professional speaker and author of the Amazon number one bestseller, web marketing that works. His work has been featured in Forms, Huppeting Post, Entrepreneur, amongst others. And today he's a CEO of Blue, Blue Wire Media, where he teaches thousands of clients to win high value clients via his online courses and coaching programs. And he's also got a pretty awesome name. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my guest today, Adam Franklin to the Client Catching Podcast. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. It's great to be here. And as you say, great name. Yeah, well, it's always a bit weird when you, you meet someone with the same name. And uh, I think we uh, said this when we first met. It's, uh, it's kind of like talking to yourself in a weird way. <laughs> yes, and not only that, we've had quite a similar background, same age, same sort of background. It's yeah. uh, been interesting. Yeah, yeah, my, yeah absolutely. My, uh, <laughs> my English counterpart. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, you're living, the, you're living the dream over there in Australia with the, uh, with the better weather than we have. Because, uh, <laughs> that's all something. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. You've done obviously a lot of things. You've been in this sort of marketing space for a, a pretty long time, and uh, 
you've uh, you've you've chopped and changed a little bit, haven't you, with with some of the things that you help people with, the focus and, and all that kind of thing. So why don't you bring us up to speed of, of, of what you're doing today in terms of the kind of people you help and the big problem that you solve for them? Yes, absolutely. So these days our core focus is helping consultants um, and helping consultants get more high value clients uh, through a process, you know, following my methodology that, that covers various aspects, but basically using digital channels to help consultants win high value clients and solve the problem of these consultants and advisors who have all this intellectual property, they've got a good real life network, they've got all the ingredients, but they just haven't been able to get the recipe right for replicating that online. And I, I love the analogy of the, uh, the the recipe and having all the ingredients because it is it is something that that I often see a lot. It's like people are very very good at what they do. They're very smart. They're great at actually helping their clients. It's just that missing piece that getting out into the world and getting in front of these people in an authoritative way to the point where people are going to want to have a conversation about potentially solving that problem that they actually help their clients solve. Hundred percent. Yep. They just need they just need to follow the process, put the right building blocks in place, and then it really can help them have a lot more scale, a lot more leverage, a lot more freedom, more sales, uh, more enjoyment. So I I love your um your methodology and and the way that you explain it. So do you want to talk about what that methodology is and your your sort of three key uh, parts to it, and then how it sort of radiates out into uh, into encompassing pretty much everything that you need to do with your marketing. Absolutely, Adam. So, I mean, let, let's start in the middle. I mean, there's basically three circles that, that intersect. But at the end of the day, what we're really trying to do is work with more high-value clients. So that's that's in the middle of the, the three intersecting circles. But in order to get there, we need to have three things happening. Firstly, is we need to have high-trust relationships. Secondly, we need to be top of mind with the right people. And thirdly, we need to have an actual pipeline of opportunities to be and, and conversations to be having um, with, the, with the right sorts of people. So in order for those three things to happen, and that, and that applies online as much as it does offline, you need trust, you need to be top of mind, you need to have a pipeline. But the three online channels that can help accomplish those goals is firstly uh, connecting with people, and that's where LinkedIn particularly for B2B consultants is the most powerful platform. Not to discount Facebook or Instagram, they're useful, but I personally find and my clients find that LinkedIn just gets so much more traction and it's a much better platform because you can see uh, who the other people are, their roles, their work history, et cetera. So the first pillar is connecting with people via LinkedIn. The second pillar is educating people so that's a process of unpacking the ip the intellectual property that they have in their heads on their computers possibly stuff they might sketch out at client meetings and really unpacking that ip and turning that into content which they can then share publicly or even privately with the appropriate people that's pillar two moving on to pillar three and that is where you actually looking at converting the right types of people um, into prospects or clients and having those sales conversations and in my experience email is the best platform for converting 
And that's the methodology that I take my clients through. And it's really just a, a matter of putting the building blocks in place and building the systems and working their way through that to, to work with those high value clients themselves. And I love the, uh, the, the simplicity that's involved in that as well, because I think a lot of the time we think that there is an overcomplicated way of doing something. And if it's not difficult, then surely it's not necessarily going to work. But really, it's, it's, it's how human beings interact. And, and you've encompassed that in a model and a, and a system. And it's not all around automation, is it necessarily? It's, it's using certain softwares and technologies like LinkedIn as an online platform, using email and all that kind of thing. But I think when people hear systems a lot of the time, they're thinking, oh my God, I've got to get all this software and automation and all that kind of thing. But the way that you show people how to do it, it's not reliant on that, is it? Not at all. I, I, I love automation and I, and I hate automation. So I guess let me draw the line in the sand of, of the way I see it. You know, automation can be fantastic for heavy lifting, like, you know, you're not going to send a thousand emails one by one. You're going to send that as a broadcast email through Infusionsoft or MailChimp or whatever else. So that stuff I love. Um, same goes for lead nurturing autoresponder emails. So when someone drops into your marketing ecosystem, you know that they're going to be drip fed certain emails in a certain sequence at certain times. That stuff I love. But when it comes to relationships, when it comes to uh, human interactions, I don't believe in the automation, particularly on LinkedIn. I mean, one, it's against LinkedIn's terms and conditions. Mm -hmm. But secondly, it's, it's the relationships. You can't automate those things, and, and nor should you. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big believer in personal messages, researching the person you're about to, to contact, um, interacting with them yourself, and not hiring virtual assistants or getting software to do that for you because I believe there's two things that you shouldn't uh, outsource or, or automate and that is um, the relationship side of things and the thought leadership side of things. It's Absolutely. got to be your relationships and the stuff that you know that you can share. A lot of other stuff can be automated and uh, assisted by VAs but really they're the two things that, that, the, mm. that the consultant or the business owner should be doing themselves. Yeah, I heard the term. I think it was um, uh, Russell Brunson that said something like you, you should never out or you can't outsource your lovemaking. And it's the same in a way with, um, you know, with, with building relationships, um, you know, business wise and all that kind of thing. It's you can't take the person out of a relationship. So don't necessarily, you know, don't try. It's about being personal one on one. And and the kind of people that you work with, they're not going after mass market anyway. So they don't need hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients. They need a, a, you know, a select few because that's who they work with. They, they focus on, on solving a problem for a specific type of client. And yeah, they, they don't need that approach, which is being touted of the, you know, chuck a million people in the top using Facebook ads and wait for your funnel to, uh, to, to, to sort of, you know, spit people out at the bottom it's it's you end up with a very different type of client that way as well and and the relationship side of it you know it's it's massive so have you got an example of um maybe somebody that you've uh, you've worked with recently um that has sort of gone through your process and and what they look like you know how things were before and then how things were after sort of adopting this methodology well a lot of my clients come to me with 
with a LinkedIn profile, but essentially dormant. Uh, and so what they actually have to work with is typically a reasonable, a reasonable number of connections, but they haven't really contacted any of them ever and often not posted any content publicly either. And so I take on clients that, that have existing intellectual property, they've got a successful consulting business already. But as I said earlier, they haven't got the recipe or they haven't joined the dots properly. So the process I take them through is basically to, to look at the low hanging fruit, to go through and simply do a search of the title of the, their ideal future client, and then filter that by their geography, if, if they service, you know, based on where they live, for example, but most importantly, to filter by their first degree contacts. Because what that simple search does is it shows you that you may already have 40 contacts who are in the role that you can serve and you actually know these people already. And so once they've identified those, say, 40 people, then it's a matter of actually reaching out to them and initiating a conversation. And depending on, on how well you know them, there's, there's various approaches. Some people like to just sort of go a bit gung-ho and and just cut straight to the um, chase and say, look, I'm, I can help people like you achieve these types of results. Is this something that you'd be interested in, in hearing more about? Um, or it might be a more, a more sort of slow and steady approach where we're basically trying to take people through the know, like, trust, raise your hand and have a sales conversation process. So mm -hmm. it could be as much as, as five messages to nurture them along that journey. But one of the simple scripts that I teach clients, and it's, it's not rocket science, but to ask people um, how, how they're going and what exciting projects are they working on at the moment? because it's a natural human way to interact and that's possibly something that you'd say when you bumped into them at a business function yeah it's just starting conversations isn't it mm. it's opening opening a conversation um that uh, may or may not sort of lead to yeah, doing business or or even some form of collaboration over uh, over time and um yeah that's why you can't automate or you know this kind of thing because each of those are going to be slightly different each person is then going to reply in a slightly different way, and yeah, it's not the uh, the, the magic button just push and uh, you know wait for uh, wait for clients to come through your door, but it is incredibly effective because you are dealing with human beings on a one to one level, and that's that's a big. Do you find that that the reason why a lot of what you do works so well is because people are actually pushing back against that mass automation the uh, you know, the, 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 the mass broadcast, all that kind of thing. And actually people crave a little bit of one-to-one um, -one connection. Look, I believe so. Um, there's a lot to be said. I mean, humans do business with, with humans. It's, it's especially when you're dealing with high value projects, high value clients, it needs that personal touch. And the thing is that if they're first degree contacts, you know them somehow, or they know you somehow. And so it's only you and the other person that, that know specific things about what's happened in the past. And so mm. to simply mention something like, oh, I can't believe it's been maybe seven years since we saw each other in, in, um, in London, a VA or other people or software can't possibly know that. Yeah. And so to drop something like that in the messaging sequence is so powerful because it's obvious that the other person, to, to, to the recipient, that 
you remember them, that that's something only you two could know. So, so it is personal. And when I take clients through this process, what I find is that, you know, they, they, might, they might send out 100 messages. It reconnects them with people in their network. And from that, very often they may have, you know, 10 or 15, 20 interested people, um, which may go on to be two, three or four uh, business engagements just simply from people that are right under their nose, like literally in their first degree contact list. And that's the easiest place to start. And, and often that will, will bear fruit. Mm. And that's a lot of the, uh, I find is, is that a lot of people don't necessarily sort of maximize the value of what they already have and the assets that they have. And they don't necessarily look at everything as an asset. I mean, a LinkedIn um, or LinkedIn connections potentially are an asset, but if you haven't used them, they're not going to be that asset that can, that can generate your return. And, and I, I think that's why it's, it's quite easy to be seduced by other things because they promise it to be quicker or um, you know, easier or, or something like that. Whereas actually you can go with what you already have. Um, and I'm, it's not all about the channel either, is it? LinkedIn is one thing. Um, you could have um, an email list that you haven't spoken to. You could, you could do a similar thing with a client list that is or, or past client list that you haven't spoken to for a while. And, and I'm always amazed to find how many people haven't reconnected with past clients for quite a while. Um, baffles me sometimes, but it's, I guess, because you're, you're constantly sort of chasing the next thing or, you know, bringing more thing, you know, more leads, more, uh, you know, more, 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 more. It's, it's, it's like we are conditioned to think more is better. Whereas simple, systematic can often have a much better, um, a better return. So what is it that, or, or, or are there any sort of mistakes that you see people making specifically around LinkedIn and, and, and bad practices and, and what people would be best to do instead? Absolutely. So, I mean, we've all received those direct messages or connection requests from people that as soon, either they put the pitch in the connection request or as soon as you connect, they do a copy and paste message saying that they can help you with a whole list of everything, um, book in a time, and they're, they're assuming that you want to talk to them. They're very, being very presumptive. Um, and that's, that's bad, you know, because it's, it's sort of like a, a spray and pray approach, which I don't think works very well. The, the way to do that much more elegantly is just to take an extra couple of minutes to reach out uh, strategically to people in your network or even second or third degree contacts if we're talking about outreach, but actually explain to them why you're reaching out and that you've gone to the effort of understanding where they are, what role they're in, what problems they could be facing, and if they are facing those, well, here's something that could interest you. Um, let me know if you'd like to hear more without shoving stuff down their throat, without saying when's a good time to talk, but giving them the control, giving them, you know, asking for permission to proceed. Mm. And that way it's a human relation, it is how humans interact. And that way it's not, it's obviously not just a, a spray, a spray and pray approach. Mm. You've done your research and they realize, okay, he's looked at my profile. He understands what, where I'm at. 
maybe this person can help. Mm. So it's just, it doesn't seem like a huge difference, but the impact that it has to take that extra few minutes to do your research and do a proper outreach message is huge. Well, it's, it's often the subtleties that make the difference in all, in, in all human relationships, isn't it? And, and, and I guess what that showed, it's respect. It's respect for the other person. It's respect for their time. It's respect for, um, yeah, as, as you say, asking the permission. And, and it's not sort of forcing yourself because nobody likes that you know you can back off and it's like whoa whoa you know we've all been to those networking events where somebody just turns up and uh you know thrusts a business card straight in your hand i mean it's it's not as common as say linkedin and as you say we've all got those connection requests and and, and what happens and what, what do you do with with it afterwards you just go no thanks ignore maybe even unconnect or or, or whatever but I'd be interested to see the stats on, on people that use that approach and, and if it worked. It's kind of like the, um, I don't know, uh, maybe, maybe this is a more extreme example of it, but the, uh, the African prince kind of emails that used to, maybe they still go around, um, you know, just transfer me some cash and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a million or something. But, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen like that, does it? Because there's no trust involved. Exactly. Like I, I've, got, I've got a guy who I think, I, I, who's messaged me, it would be about, probably 32 times now saying when's a good time to chat what's your skype id when's it like every probably month or so he started writing to me in 2017 and i went back to all the messages and i realized i thought well, why is this person messaging me so often when I've, I've said no and i haven't responded to you know 31 consecutive messages but I actually made the mistake he wished me happy birthday and i wrote back and said thanks and that little sort of interaction has prompted him to go, all right, this guy responds. I'm just going to, you know, badger him to death until he, till he succumbs and, and maybe joins me for a call. And I haven't, and I'm not warming to him anymore after, you know, 32 messages than I was when I originally said I wasn't, you know. So I mean, it is. I, I, that, I know that, that yeah, there's work. that that whole sort of thing, you know, you need a certain amount of touch points before someone can, you know, know you, like you, trust you. But that's going a little bit far if you haven't had, you know, any further response. And, yeah, what does that do for your brand? What does that do for, because you're obviously, you're telling this story. I mean, you're not obviously saying who it is, but that kind of thing, he must be doing it to a number of other people and maybe they're talking about it and all that kind of thing. And that ripple effect, can, you know, the negative ripple effect from doing this sort of thing wrong can be just as detrimental to your business as, as I don't know, <laughs> just slapping someone in the face. I don't know. It just, it does, it feels like that, doesn't it? When, when somebody behaves in that way. Look, I think if, if that's people's approach, they're better off doing nothing and not eroding trust and just staying at, you know, mm. zero trust rather than negative trust. Um, but people do it. And I think that's why a lot of people are a bit hesitant about LinkedIn because they say, look, I just get spammed on, on that platform. I don't want to be that person that annoys people. So they they don't know what to do or what to say. And they're paralyzed by fear because they don't want to come across too pushy or salesy or like those people we've just spoken about. And it's, I like it when people come to me with those objections because I can say look let's just picture us at a business function and you see it's a room full of ideal future buyers or ideal future clients and how would you approach people in the room well mm. you know you wouldn't just stand on a table and, and and toss out 50 business cards and hope people picked it up put it in their pocket and called you to do some work mm. you would most likely go and introduce yourself 
ask them how they're doing and have a conversation. And that's the exact same approach they need to, to, to do online, especially on LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's crazy, isn't it? How the, uh, the rules of sort of common human decency and courtesy seem to go out the window sometimes when uh, you can almost hide behind a, a computer screen. It's, um, yeah, it always fascinates me that sort of aspect of how social media and the digital world has, has changed the way we sort of interact and think. I think it's fascinating, to be honest. But it's nice to hear, though, that people do have those objections because that shows that there is an integrity behind what they do and they don't want to be that person. They genuinely have that desire to actually help people and approach them in a, in a, in a professional manner and all that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I can imagine that if you're only on the receiving end of that kind of thing, you don't really understand a, a different way of doing it. But that in itself is a way to stand out. It's a way to be different. Yeah, that, that's right. It, it, it totally isn't. Just to take that human approach is, is so important, but also to the point you made, you know, people can with social media sort of hide behind the computer screen and it's less, to me, being personal and human has an element of being quite confronting because if you are being human and sincere and authentic, if, if you get rejected or if you don't hear back from somebody, that can kind of hurt our feelings or hurt our ego or or damage our enthusiasm. And so I think that's potentially potentially why people sometimes just gravitate to the to the ads. Mm. It's no real personal context, so there's less chance of rejection. So I kind of I think I get it from that psychological mm. point of view. Mm. But at the same time, I, I, I often think like, why why would people sort of pay money to interrupt strangers with an ad when right under their nose there's people that they, that they know already they can get in contact for free and it's there's an already established degree of um, trust mm. and that to me seems like the logical place to start rather than spending money to interrupt strangers with adverts but I guess if it, it might provide a, a layer of safety it might just be the new shiny object that some that they've seen or heard people talk mm. about but no I always guide people to the to the human side to the relationships and the people ideally they know already yeah it's interesting i hadn't really sort of thought of it in that way as well why why some people may resist doing this because to me it makes sense but i guess when you are putting yourself forward as an individual rather than a brand or a company or something like that because you do this with your personal profiles don't you rather than you know business pages and all that kind of thing so you are putting yourself out there to be shot down rejected all that kind of thing and that can i guess be a, a tough thing to deal with because even if you take the um the professional approach there are going to be people that don't respond or respond in a in a negative sort of way and and, and that can you know hurt the ego a bit i guess um but i'm sure you know you're going to find a lot more positive responses than the negative ones which you know as long as you do it enough and do it over time, that's, that's what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, you've sort of moved towards this approach from a bit more of a, a, a general background with it when it comes to digital marketing. I mean, you, you wrote the book on web marketing, um, didn't you? So um, how did that come about? What, did, what was it you were starting to see around some of the stuff that you were previously doing that has cause you to sort of take this uh this this new direction or, or newer direction 
absolutely. So what I was finding, Adam, is that, uh, you know, let's if we go back sort of two or three years, you could do Facebook Lives, you could post videos to Instagram, uh, and they were very popular platforms and they still are. Back then, LinkedIn was kind of a little bit, not spammy, but it, it wasn't a place that I gravitated to. Mm. It was an online CV that, place, wasn't it? Primarily. It was an online CV place, absolutely. People still think it is, um, which is nuts, but there you go. Yeah, and, and it was. It wasn't, you know, that attractive a place to, to hang out, if you will. But what the turning point was for me was when LinkedIn lets you publish videos natively to the platform. And it was a few years ago now, but and because I was posting regular videos to Facebook and Instagram, I decided to take one of the videos that I had and pop it onto LinkedIn. And what I found was that the videos that I'd put on Facebook and Instagram, this particular one that I, my very first one, the equivalent video, the identical video on Facebook had, I think about eight or 900 views. The same video on Instagram had 400 views and I put it onto LinkedIn and it had 3000 views. And that was all free, organic. There was, there was no paid ads. And I thought, wow, LinkedIn's, I've, I've got 300 views and significantly more comments on that video on LinkedIn. I thought there's something going on here. And not only that, the people that liked it and commented, I could then click on their profile. I could connect with them if I wasn't already. I could see where they were located. I could see their job title, their company. and I could engage them in conversations if I decided to. And I thought that was really, really powerful. And it was around that time when you could publish videos natively to LinkedIn, that LinkedIn really sort of transformed into a content publishing platform rather than that CV platform. Mm. And I think that was a huge turning point for me personally, but for the platform to have content publishers on there and a real sort of go-to business content um, destination mm. and, and i know you don't have the uh, the inside track on linkedin but do you how long do you see this sort of being the case with linkedin have you seen any changes in trends when it comes to things like video reach or uh, post reach or, or anything like that 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 is different from that sort of turning point for you look i i have uh, for a while there videos particularly got a tremendous amount of traction in the in the early days, um, which is only a couple of years ago from you know the time of recording here, I think because partly it was a new feature on LinkedIn, so they wanted to give it a bit more uh, traction in, in news feeds to encourage more people to be posting videos, because of course people watching a video holds their attention typically longer than a short post, and they make their money off people's attention. Uh, so videos did have a really, and they, and they still do, they're very, they still get a lot of traction, but possibly not as much as maybe a year ago. Mm. The second thing I've noticed along these lines is that, well, any, any new feature is likely to get more traction. So recently LinkedIn allowed us to post documents. Um, so you could put a PDF up there and it would share it in people's news feeds. And because it's new, I'll, I am still finding that document posts are getting, you know, many, many thousands of, of views mm. 
as opposed to some, you know, the similar sort of content in a text post or an image post. So really anything, any new feature tends to get a lot of traction, but I do think it's going to continue. See, the thing with LinkedIn is that only, I think less than half a percent of people post anything publicly, which means there's a lot of people on the platform and only a very small percentage of people who are publishing. Mm. And I think compared to say Facebook or Instagram, it's more of a, they're more social, social media platforms and everybody's pretty comfortable taking a photo of their friends of themselves at the beach or their, or their lunch because it's, it's not as confronting as say LinkedIn where you're kind of there with your work hat on mm. your name, your company, your role, you, you know, you might be thinking, well, geez, I thought I'd share some useful insights. What if, I'm not, you know, what if I get shot down? What if all these what ifs that just really hinder us? So I think people are less comfortable posting to LinkedIn. Therefore, those that are brave enough <laughs> to put their thoughts out there mm. are going to reap the rewards for quite a long period of time because most people are sort of just watching from the sidelines, a little bit hesitant to, to, to step on mm. the field. And that's, that's a crazy statistic considering there's what 600 and something million people on there and what is it a third are, are like um you know active um every week or, or something like that and and yet half a percent are actually creating content well that there is an opportunity for anyone that hasn't yet done so just start experimenting i guess you know put some of the things that you've put on other um other places um you know if you've got blogs if you've got previous videos you've done if you've done you know, that sort of thing just go and try it out. <laughs> you just, I guess you, you never know by doing it. Or maybe there's a specific type of content that works better on LinkedIn and maybe you could talk to that. But I don't know. It just seems a bit of an obvious one to me. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm always surprised. I, I, I can make educated guesses as to what type of content is going to resonate the most. Um, but often I'm surprised. It's not always what you think. So that means that the testing is important. And if you've already got some videos or content blogs or images or what have you that you've put on Facebook or Instagram, just try it on LinkedIn. And like I was amazed because at the time when I got those 3,000 views, I only had 1,500 contacts. Mm. So it was as if everybody in my network had seen it, plus 1,500 other people who I didn't even know yet. So LinkedIn was not only giving me essentially 100% reach, but they were introducing me to other mm. people who might find this content useful. And if you compare that to Facebook and Instagram, their organic reach is, is really low. Mm. You've got to boost it or pay money just for your own fans or followers to see the content. Mm. And on the other side, LinkedIn over here is saying, hey, that content's great. We'll show it to all your contacts and more. So, mm. yeah, there's a lot There's a lot to be said for, for publishing content on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, Maybe one day it'll become a more of a pay to play, but I don't know. I mean, the, obviously the, um, the LinkedIn advertising side of things, it is more costly um, than going some of the other routes. And, and maybe that's why they're able to keep it in the way that it is at the moment. I don't know uh, with, the, with the more organic side of things. And, and maybe that will be a differentiator. Who knows? I mean, these, these platforms change constantly every week, sometimes new features, um, algorithm updates, changes, all that kind of thing. But I don't think that there is anything that will change the fundamental principle of sharing thought leadership and authoritative content 
that is specific to um, helping a certain group of people solve a particular problem. And that's that's marketing 101. And that will be that will be something that will work for a while, I believe. Not sure about um, yeah, if, if that's something that you sort of see or 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 anything like that. But that's how I see it. I, I see it the same. And I mean, LinkedIn can change the rules tomorrow if they wanted to. They've certainly stripped back certain functionality over the years, but they've also added in new functionality. I mean, certainly publishing authoritative content, sharing insights, that's always going to be effective marketing. It's just whether LinkedIn will give us visibility or give us reach mm. for doing so. I believe they will. But at the end of the day, as you and your listeners will, will know, it's it's still it's still playing on somebody else's turf. Yeah. It still needs to be part of that nurturing process mm. to guide those people on a journey back to your office, your home base. So whether that's an email list or you know connecting and getting a telephone number and moving that relationship. It's great to start on LinkedIn, but moving it to email, to face-to-face -face meetings, to you know much more close and intimate relationships. Absolutely, and um, yeah, this is this is one I'm going to be interested of, uh, for you uh, answering because um, yeah, a lot of what you do could be very relevant to this. But I like to ask a question which is uh, along the lines of: Let's say you had um, a situation that cropped up in your business. Um, you had a, a large bill, I don't know, it was tax season and you miscalculated how much you had to pay or um, suddenly um, you know, your biggest client walked off or something like that and you had 30 days to make payroll and you needed, I don't know, three, three or four clients in 30 days in order to meet that payroll. How would your thought process start about how you would tackle that? And then maybe what would be some of the steps that you take to try and address it? Okay, so a very similar situation has actually happened to us in the past. There was a, a miscalculated um, Telstra bill, so telecommunications company. They had they had decided to charge us thirty thousand dollars, as opposed to the regular maybe five hundred dollars. So it was this huge bill, uh, which we didn't feel we'd done anything wrong. It was for excess data. How you do thirty grand worth of excess data, I don't know, but the bill had come in. And at the same time, there was a tax bill as well, which which was reasonably significant. And so we thought, whoa, this is <laughs> this is not pretty. Um, and so trying to resolve the Telstra bill was one thing. It certainly took it, dra it drained us and took attention away from mm. you know winning new clients to to bring the money in. So back this was many years ago now, but back then we decided to basically get, get back out there knocking on doors. Mm. Back then, LinkedIn wasn't a, a, a platform that was widely adopted. Facebook and Instagram were relatively new and our email list was fairly modest back then. So then we actually literally um, went around to businesses, knocked on their doors, said, look, you know, can we, can we, can we help you with, with some digital marketing, with a website, which was... We were an agency back then. Mm. And yeah, we, we pounded the pavement and knocked on doors. And that that helped. We also called up past clients that maybe hadn't done a project for a while, contacted uh, friends and contacts to really let them know, look, we've got capacity. We can help. We like what you're doing with your business, but we feel that you know some digital marketing could help. Uh, and so it's really just le leaning on those relationships, starting new relationships mm. and asking the question, 
in a non-pushy, elegant way. Mm. But really, that's that's what it comes down to. You've got to hit the phones or or message people or um, knock on their door or invite mm. them to lunch and say, look, here's the situation. Here's where we think we can help people. Do you know somebody? Do you need help yourself? Mm. And it's often scary or confronting, but it's so much more appealing than the alternative, which is go out of business because you're out of money. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure sort of now with um, with the way that, uh, I mean, it's interesting because what you've sort of said there is is actually a little bit of a, a, a micro example of what you need to be doing every single day anyway with your marketing and using you know the way that you show how people how to do linkedin because if you ever did get to that situation but you haven't invested the time in you know regularly connecting adding people to your network building those relationships you're not going to have that you're literally going to have to sort of go outside almost with a sandwich board and just you know hey i'm i'm open um that kind of thing but that's why that systematic approach that sort of consistency even if you spent 10 minutes a day just reconnecting sending a couple of messages maybe post a thought in your you know on your feed a day that can be done in 10 15 minutes i guess if that situation arises then maybe you can spend a few hours doing that kind of thing but the beauty of the way that you show people how to do it is it is a system and it's a system that can be ramped up and ramped down as those ebbs and flows that naturally occur in business happen so um if Somebody wants to know how to find out more about this specific system and the way that you work people uh, work work with people. Um, tell them about ex, you know your, uh, an example of your programs that you 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 help people with, and and then where to go to find out a little bit more about them. Sure. So I I pride myself on releasing a whole bunch of free marketing templates. So if you're just starting out, uh, head to bluewiremedia.com.au and I'm sure the link will be down below somewhere. Absolutely. Uh, there's a big button on my homepage to download my web strategy planning template. But basically that will um, get you onto my regular Blue Wire news emails where I share all my free tips and templates. There's a page on my website with probably 50, 50 free marketing templates. There's at least 10 that are specific to LinkedIn. And then if you find my approach useful, if you have some wins from my free material, then at various stages, I will um, open up my, my flagship LinkedIn course. And that's basically a start to finish um, blueprint of how to go about the technical side of posting stuff and what to say in your profile through to how to actually build that messaging system to take someone from a stranger on LinkedIn mm. and nurture them through to being a high value client, uh, as well as things like the content creation and the publishing, which really can give your marketing leverage and scale. Because mm. as you say, if you do you know, 50 one-on-one -on -one emails or 50 one-on-one -on -one text messages or video messages, that's very time consuming. It's effective, but it's time consuming. Mm. You can spend five minutes short recording a short video, for example, which may then be seen by 3,000 people. So it's really sort of starting at the basics and building up to that. So that's that's what we cover in the in the LinkedIn course. And and I suggest that yeah, go and just have a look at some of Adam's free stuff, the templates. There's a lot of them, and seriously, the the value in just those templates alone are insane. It it would take you 
months to create those kind of, you know, not just to create the templates themselves, but the thought and the, the ideas and the, the experience that's gone into create them. I mean, I'm amazed that you give so many away them for free because that's, that's pretty much your, uh, your life's work in a way. And it's, it's, it's so impressive and yeah, go and go and get those templates and just start on the journey to get to know Adam a bit better because he's incredibly generous, um, incredibly knowledgeable and yeah, really knows how to uh, help you win those high value clients, which is what we're all after, isn't it? At the end of the day. So, um, Adam, I just want to say a massive thank you for being here, sharing, uh, so generously again. And, um, yeah, all that's left to say is happy fishing. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into the show today. I know there are a lot of podcasts you could be listening to, but you've chosen this one and I'm truly grateful for that. And if you've enjoyed this week's episode, I'd love if you could just take a few quick minutes to share your thoughts and leave an honest rating review for the show over on iTunes. It's not only important for helping others discover the show, but I also read each and every submission personally, and they really do mean the world to me. So thanks very much in advance and happy fishing.